ladies and gentlemen, we have hit another milestone for the podcast. This is the Michael Grabner episode of the <laughs> Behind the Net podcast. Yes, I figured out a number this time, and uh, I can't think of any other players number 40. Can you think of any? Um, Not off the top of my head right now. I don't know why. But, uh, I'm sure there's a basketball player who has number 40. I don't know, actually. It's not coming up to the top of my head. Okay. Okay. But anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, welcome back to the Behind the Net podcast. As always, um, we're your hosts, Matthew and Michael. How's it going, guys? Awesome. So, uh, yes, episode forty. It's been crazy. Yet. We've done more episodes officially, I think, in quarantine um, than we did when we were doing it in person. That's a that's a really good point. I think we have uh, any one of the listeners who've been listening to us for a long time. Uh, just uh, do the research to confirm with us uh, when exactly was the last like how the exact number. But I'm sure it's bigger. I think we started. I think the whole quarantine podcast thing started around episode seventeen or eighteen, something like that. Um, and also, I did just think of a um, of a player who wore number forty. Go for it. Garrett Sparks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that was coming. Just thinking of Leafs, but uh yeah. Uh just uh just just that. <laughs> I see, okay, okay. But anyways, so back to uh back to this week's episode. Of course, last week um last week was kind of a different a different episode there. Um we are now we're recording on Wednesday, so we are one week removed from the NBA players um, strike um, on the league. Mm-hmm. And they um, initially they didn't know when we recorded it last week. We didn't know when they were gonna um, when they were going to resume, and they mm-hmm. did resume play. Um, ultimately, it was the players' decision decisions, and uh, yeah. So NBA is back. Um, we have a bit to talk about there, and we have a bit to talk about how other sports um we know we know the baseball took a took a break as well um in solidarity Mm -hmm. but i remember last week we were talking about how hockey didn't um take a break and uh before we talk about any other topics like we have a lot planned for this week um michael i want to know your thoughts on you know last week we said that the nhl um not taking you know a stand and not taking that um night off um, it was mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a good look at all. It wasn't a good thing. Um, we wanted yep. to see the NHL, um, you know, be there to support the Black Lives Matter movement and be there to support absolutely their fellow athletes in the NBA. And uh, we wanted them taking the night off. Um, they they yeah. ended up taking the next two nights off um, in solidarity. So I want to know what your what, what what were your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing I want to emphasize, and I think what people sometimes forget, is that these two pauses, uh, two days of pause that the NHL got, was driven by the players. And it's similar to the NBA, where it was the players that were the ones behind the boycotts and uh, the games being uh, postponed. It wasn't because the the NBA said, oh, okay, we'll do it. They were kind of, their hands were forced by the players. And I think that's one thing that people... uh, following hockey needs to understand it's that these players are taking more of a an interest in these social issues and i think that's a good thing because it's important that these players recognize the world around them and 
be able to provide uh, commentary because they have such a large platform, but also to support the Black Lives Matter movement, which has become a huge pressing issue these last few months of it's more so than ever before. And the fact, yeah, it was obviously frustrating that they continued to play uh, while the NBA, the WNBA, MLB, uh, soccer, all that stuff kept uh, just decided to stop. It would have been nice for them to join suit and uh, pause, but I'm glad that they were able to pause the games when they did. And they are making, I'd say this is the best we've seen the NHL mm-hmm. like respond. Like after, after that, after that uh, game that they played as we, you saw, like they made some really uh, like eye opening statements in the sense that you, you've never really seen the NHL do something like that before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I definitely think it was a big step. I think at first glance, a lot of people thought, you know, the NHL was kind of, it was looking like the NHL was kind of being forced into it after initially making the decision to not take that first night off. Um, But, you know, when we found out more information, um, we basically found out that it was at the players' hands, the, the whole decision to take nights off. And I think that's a very honorable thing, especially in hockey, which we talked about. It's a, it's um, a predominantly white sport. And um, I mean, we've talked about it so so much that, you know, these hockey players have chosen to ignore these issues because, you know, it just hasn't pertained to their life, to their lives. So mm-hmm. it's been something that they can easily put aside. And right now, even though we've been saying it for months that this isn't something that they can just put aside. And even though they have been putting it aside, um, I think it is a big step that finally these players themselves um, kind of took the initiative to uh, to really learn more about it and, and take that stand um, themselves without having to be, you know, maybe there was a little pressure um, from, you know, different leagues and different athletes and, and that overall pressure, but it's a big step for the players themselves to take that step rather than the NHL kind of forcing it upon them. So I think that shows a lot of growth and I think it's very important. For sure, um, mm-hmm. and what? Yeah, and one thing to mention before you continue is that uh, the NHL cannot be let off the hook because of uh, how they were able to respond after playing those games on what was it Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, because there's a really good piece from one of our TLN colleagues, Marcia Joseph, called "This Is Not the End." I think it pretty much perfectly represents uh, what I'm about to say next: is that the NHL still has a lot of work to do, and they can't just use. Uh, what they did after uh, all the boycotts as like, we did our part. We're good. We can stop. Now the work continues. Now mm-hmm. you need to keep going. You need to continue to show that you're not just uh, doing it because it was a popular thing to do. You're going to do it because you genuinely believe it. You stand by the statement of black lives matter and you want to help uh, make the sport uh, all inclusive. You know, the statement uh, hockey is for everyone. Well, if you want to make it true, then you got to keep up the work that you've been doing the last last couple of days because that's how people are going to feel comfortable watching the sport. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, exactly that. So, yeah, I think it was nice to see, and uh, we'll see how things progress from there. Um, it's definitely mm-hmm. a big step. Um, but moving on, we have a lot planned um, in this episode, um, a lot of topics to discuss, and uh, I think we should go through them a little quicker than usual because there are a lot. First off on our list, though, um, we we do have to address our Mario Kart 8 tournament that we've been talking about, you know, a few episodes ago. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're, we've made the decision to postpone it indefinitely. Um, mm-hmm. There just wasn't enough uh, 
enough interest for it and enough signups we, we got a few signups but not enough for a whole tournament and um of course people are getting more busy now that the world is kind of opening up but um again if uh if you're listening and you would like to see a mario kart 8 tournament actually happen and we can run it um just let us know tweet us at uh, either one of us or even the podcast account and, and let us know that you do want to see a mario kart 8 tournament um i think we just need that interest Yes, absolutely. And uh, don't think of it as like we're, we're putting it on the shelf and we're never going to touch it again. We do want to uh, do the tournament at some point. But again, as Matthew said, it's going to come from you guys. Uh, if you really want this thing to happen, please give us a shout from our Twitter accounts and the Behind the Net podcast Twitter account. If enough people are able to, are interested in doing it, then we'll make it happen. For sure, for sure. Um, before we get into the news of the week and the discussions of the week, um, Michael, how are you doing this week? I've been good, man. Uh, work has been pretty hectic. Uh, just today, I started. Uh, I woke up at six thirty for a shift. Uh, but you know what? I can't complain. Uh, work's been good. I got the spike ball set finally. Nice, and I got some nice. This week, I've been wanting to get a spike ball set. Um, I'm. De- I saw you get it and you put it on your Instagram story. And honestly, I think I, I still want to get. It. I was thinking it might be a little too late. Like I kind of regret not getting it. You know, earlier in summer. Um, mm-hmm. because I mean now it's gonna be fall and um those kind of summer activities are not as popular you know when when it's colder outside but yeah i don't know i'm still debating it It would be fun at least at least i can get some fun in this week i mean this month um, oh yeah mm-hmm. well um we still have a lot of free time on our hands just a little bit of a uh like if you guys are interested in buying it canadian tire sells them for 80 bucks i promise you if you see one in the store snag it up because it won't it'll, they, those things sell like hotcakes mm-hmm um so yeah i i definitely will look into that um or have you played it yet uh i'm gonna play it uh, probably tonight maybe tomorrow but uh yeah speaking of games i want to I, I i'm gonna be playing uh in just yesterday i got some things that arrived uh, from ebay uh two simpsons games actually one Ooh. was the simpsons game and the other is road rage both okay. on the ps2 nice nice um yeah um i i, I haven't played um either but i have played another simpsons game which i'll bring up really quickly but um i do know both of those games are very good especially um the simpsons game like the movie kind of based on the movie one um have you played it before or is this is this going to be your first time playing through those games i have played it before i had it originally on the 360 but for whatever reason i just gave it away or so like brought it to ebay or something Mm so so recently i was like man i really wish i still had that game so then i just found it on ps2 ah perfect i'll uh pick that one up it's fun it is fun i've seen a lot of videos i haven't played myself yet but it lo- even during that time i think i've when i was younger i wanted to pick it up it looks like a really mm-hmm. fun game it's a good game mm-hmm. yeah you should definitely pick it up if you find it while we're on the topic of simpsons games though have you played hit and run before oh yeah man simpsons i still have my original copy of on the gamecube nice i have my original copy on playstation 2 that is hands down my favorite simpsons game and it is mm-hmm. amazing factual it's, it's statement just, there. it's just so fun it's like a it's like a kid version of grand theft auto but it's actually oh, yeah. interesting like even i bet i actually want to play it again maybe i'll play that this week but um <laughs> it's it's definitely so much fun and i love how when we talk about video games on the podcast like it makes me like crave to play a certain game again man me too i, I have to speaking of which how have you been man i've been good i've been good i've been uh chilling watching sports uh just kind of uh using my free time again to spend time with family things like that um 
yeah been been writing a few things trying to trying to come up with things to write obviously we're in the off season right now and mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah that's pretty much uh, how it's been um my wisdom teeth i think have healed up like my wisdom teeth removal so that's good um it's crazy. I when you the last week when we did that podcast, uh, it didn't sound, or was it a couple weeks ago? When I, yeah, it was like with Mike Stevens, I think, mm-hmm. where you just had your wisdom teeth removed, and I couldn't really tell that you just gotten them uh, surgically removed. So uh, if if you guys in the audience could tell a difference, let me know because maybe my earring's not good. Honestly, I don't think it caused that much of a difference. I think I was able to speak pretty clearly. I just think after after we did the podcast, I think my mouth was a little sore. But that's all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it's time now we get right into this week's uh, topics. And uh, I think the the pressing um, story of the week, especially in Toronto sports, are the Toronto Raptors. And they yep. started their um, their series against the Boston Celtics on Sunday. It was originally supposed to be last Thursday, but because of the uh, the boycotts, it was pushed back to Sunday. So. I mean, I'm just going to recap it super quickly. Game one was uh, pretty bad on the Raptors, and they took the uh, took the loss against the Celtics. And then game two, um, <laughs> I mean, I was talking oh. to you. It was, it was yesterday. I was talking to you after the game about it. And, um, you know, the Raptors, obviously, they, they lost. So they're, they're down. They're currently down 2 nothing against uh, the Celtics in the series. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were, there were a lot of errors that the Raptors were making um, on the defensive end, especially in game one, they were really struggling offensively. They were struggling yeah. to hit shots. Um, you know, like the players that you'd look to, to hit shots, you know, Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, um, they were just not hitting shots. And, and one of the bright spots was uh, Serge Ibaka. And uh, the, the fact is that, you know, these two teams are very, well matched up and we've talked about that when we had Vivek Jacob on last week um Mm -hmm. on the podcast but it really is looking like Boston has taken control over the game um and they're uh, looking a lot more comfortable than the Raptors the Raptors yesterday in game two had a lot more um they they were looking a lot better but still you could tell that um that you know they still hadn't figured out Boston completely Whereas mm-hmm. Boston had um, a bit more control over the pace of the game. And uh, yeah, the Raptors ended up making a lot of errors. We'll talk about that soon. But they ended up losing to the Celtics by only three yeah. points um, in game two. So I want to know, I want to hear from you. What do you think the Raptors' downfalls were in both both of those games? Well, I, did, I wasn't unfortunately able to watch game one in its entirety. I was definitely busy that night. But I did get to see game two. And... I have to say, the first half, and I guess maybe parts of the third quarter, the Raptors played as well as you could have expected them to play against a good team in the Celtics. And like I said uh, before the series started, this is going to be the Raptors' biggest test of the mm-hmm. playoffs so far because the Celtics play them really well. If you remember uh, the Christmas Day game back in uh, God oh, yeah. knows how long I was ago. there. I was there. It was crazy. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was unfortunate for Raptors fans, of course. But uh, yeah. If you want to know why this Celtics team is going to do the Raptors fits, if you remember that game, that's a good place to start. Um, just the Raptors, I think what it really comes down to is they were putting up uncharacteristic uh, misses. They were getting a lot of good looks, but the balls weren't going in. 
they as the you've probably heard on the uh like commentary they're they're forced into these jump shots that they're not as good at taking but at the same time the celtics also had a lot of misses during that stretch of the third quarter where like no one's shooting getting anything to go Mm -hmm. but if you think of it this way the raptors lost by three despite a miraculous run by marcus smart of all people hitting five consecutive threes they still were within three points of winning that game. Mm-hmm. That should tell you that as bad as it was in game two in that fourth quarter, this Raptors team can still match up well with the Celtics. What it comes down to, it basically the same thing for the Celtics on the other end. You got to get on a run. You also have to play the way you want to play. You can't let the other team dictate the pace offensively and defensively. Because if the Raptors want to play well, they're going to be able to do their man-to-man coverage uh, in the defensive end, and they're able to get their good open looks. They can't just force up a shot when they they need to get something going. Just get into position. You never know what's going to happen. If this Raptors team is going to if this Raptors team is going to fall down three nothing, then best believe their season's done. Mm-hmm. Because game three is critical. They have to win that game. I think we can't stress that enough. For sure. I want to bring us back to uh, kind of rewind us to last year's playoffs, actually. Um, Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Raptors were down 2 nothing um, against yep. the Bucks, and we know what happened next. They won four straight and took it in six games. And uh, I mean, a lot of Raptors fans and everyone is kind of pointing to that series as a, you know, a reminder as, you know, don't get down yet it's still possible. And I definitely think it's still possible for this team to come back. It is just a little harder because this, this is definitely a different looking team. I think everyone can see that. Um, Obviously because there is no Kawhi Leonard on this team who, Mm -hmm. you know, took a lot of the huge chunk of the load um, offensively and defensively um, for the Raptors. And he really was that number one guy who you can look towards when you need buckets, when you need um, play in tight, especially in the clutch. Um, And I think the big question mark that has kind of rose um, during the last two games was, you know, is Pascal Siakam really uh, capable of being a number one option? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a big question too. mm -hmm, And I have to ask you that. I mean, let me give my opinion first. Like, you know, all throughout the season, he definitely looked like a number one option. He was hitting shots, um, you know, late in games when, when, uh, the Raptors needed it. Um, I think he's he he hit a couple game winners, and he definitely you know was at the top of his game um, throughout the season. And definitely, I mean, there's a number of factors that play into it, but his bubble play, once he entered the bubble, has not been on par with how he was pre-bubble, um, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, basically. And of course, there's a number of different um, reasons for this. Um, Pascal Siakam stayed in Toronto during quarantine. He quarantined here in Toronto and he didn't have access to, you know, a hoop. Um, he didn't really have access to training and keeping up, you know, keeping his himself um, physically up to par with how he yeah. was. And then I believe when they when the facilities finally opened, he wasn't one of the first people um, there. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but... Um, it, it's just a number of factors there and you can see he's been struggling in the bubble and um, I don't want to place all the blame on there, but 
Yeah, as far as the playoffs go, he's definitely not playing like a number one option. And that's the problem that the Raptors have right now. You know, um, in the fourth quarter last night in game two, he was only able to hit two free throws and that's it. Two points, two free throws um, in the fourth quarter. And let me not remind you, let me remind you of the uh, the turnover that really costed the Raptors late in the game with about 13 seconds left in the fourth quarter, down three points. Um, he unfortunately, you know, I that's a debatable call you know I'm not going to get into that but basically yeah it was called out of bounds um when Pascal Siakam caught the ball and they ruled that he stepped out of bounds I mean I looked at the replay it's very close it's basically stepped right on the line um we'll get into that shortly about another topic with officiating but I want to know like do you think Pascal Siakam is a number one option here or what do you think the Raptors really have to do like like could we see another player have to, you know, step in as the number one option? Or do you think the Raptors are screwed because, you know, Pascal Siakam, unless he plays as a number one option, um, the Raptors won't find success? Mm-hmm. That's really the ultimate question. Like, that's the million dollar uh, like topic right here. Um, if we look back at last year, what was the key difference between last year's team and this year's team down 2-0? Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. He's not here anymore, so you're not you don't have this uh, marquee player like MV caliber player to help uh, get you out of a jam. That's what's going to be the big test test for for Siakam in Game Three. He on the NBA's website was number seven for candidates for the MVP. Guess who was right behind him at number eight? Jason Tatum. Mm -hmm. And on uh, Basketball Reference, he's nowhere to be seen. So what I'm getting at here is if Siakam really wants to prove that he is ready to take that next step and become the face of the Toronto Raptors uh, offense, even in spite of all the potential uh, back, like setbacks and in spite of the lack of uh, opportunities to train, if you are the face of the franchise and you have this uncanny ability and natural give God-given talent to will your team to victory, then Siakam ha- can, will be able to find a way to do that. If he can't, then the Raptors have to look at themselves in the mirror and realize that they don't have a good enough roster and that they are going to have to make some more changes. That's really all it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Siakam, I think Siakam has what it takes to become a number one option. We saw that during the regular season. And got, I can't even remember how close he was to potentially winning the, the MVP award if he's even still in the conversation for it. But the fact that he was even there to begin with speaks a lot about his development. And I think the Raptors management knew not to let him go last offseason in that trade that would have kept uh, Kawhi Leonard or potentially bringing Paul George to Toronto. Remember that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, what I'm getting at here, game three is going to be one of the most important games in franchise history. Because how that game goes, even if the Raptors somehow come back from, from that, or make a series out of three down 3-0. There's no way the Raptors are winning that. And basically, the Raptors are, have a lot of questions that they need to answer. Some really tough ones, too. So you have they have to win this game because the future of the franchise depends on it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when we're talking about Pascal Siakam being the number one option, I agree with you completely there that it really does fall on him if he's able to step up. Um, it kind of comes down to that, but... 
You know, I think maybe, again, we've talked about it all season. This season is kind of the wild card season. No expectations on the Toronto Raptors teams uh, that, that the fans have put on them. Um, it really was a wild card season. And I think when you think about all that, I think we, the expectations, I think Raptors fans are holding, I think even we are holding really high expectations for them right now because they've found so much success. And I think we should take those expectations down a notch because let's not forget, Pascal Siakam was never a number one option. He's become an assumed number one option because Kawhi Leonard left and that's it. It was, you know, but it's, as I tweeted yesterday, it's really big shoes to fill when you think about it. Kawhi Leonard is a top five player, even top three player, arguably in the league. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just because he left, everyone kind of assumed the next best player, Pascal Siakam, um, you know, would be able to be an assumed number one option rather than thinking he is a number two option and the Raptors still need that number one option. Everyone just kind of assumed he was a number one option. And again, as I said, he has played like a number one option, but this is his first real playoffs as a number one option. Let's not forget, he's only been playing basketball for, what, seven years now? Um, You know, when he was around like 18 years old only. And on top of that, he's only been a regular starter. This is his second season as a regular starter. Um, And this is his first season as even an all-star. So just to assume him as being a number one option right away, um, again, his ceiling is still high, but I think you you can't fault him for just not, you know, filling in for Kawhi Leonard's shoes and their big shoes to fill right away. And so I don't know if you'd say it's their ultimate downfall, but definitely if he wants to show up, especially in this series, um, which I'm going to go into now with this next topic, but if he wants to show up, this is his time to shine. Yeah. And the added layer onto that, and it comes in back to my second question is, he's going against Jason Tatum, who, you know, everyone's been drawing comparisons between the two all season long. And honestly, um, as we spoke about last week, um, even I was right there. I thought, you know, it was super close, but now that we're seeing them head to head, Jason Tatum is better. He is playing better than Pascal Siakam, at least right now. But let's not forget that a, a big factor when determining if a player is better than another player is if they can, you know, bring, bring it when it matters most. And that's the playoffs. And Jason Tatum has played exceptionally well. He scored 34 points uh, in game two to uh, lead the Celtics. Um, to help lead them to a victory and Pascal Siakam only scored 17 and he's been um he's been struggling you know um he's he's even struggling to put up 20 points in a game when he should be the leading scorer uh night in and night out and you can see it you can see how he struggled in the fourth quarter and Jason Tatum is just it's just crazy I watch him and he has such uh you know he has so many tools and on his tool belt to uh you know he has so many skills so yeah, I want to know, what do you think about that comparison, Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam? I still think it's fair. I still think they're pretty even. And we can't just judge two games on uh, mm-hmm. defin- defining the argument of, oh, Tatum is for sure better. Uh, statistically, right now he is. But does that mean uh, for years he's going to obviously be the better player than Siakam? Who's to say? Basketball is a strange sport in the sense that when it looks like things are going to be stable for a long time, something will change. Unless, of course, the players themselves change. We're not like, we're, this is not mm-hmm. the 
90s basketball where Michael Jordan was an inevitability. We're not talking about the early 2000s where Shaq and Kobe were an inevitability or the 2010s where LeBron and the Heat and, and the Golden LeBron State Warriors and, and the LeBron and the Cavs and yep yeah, and the Golden State Warriors were an inevitability. We're at a point right now we're we're at a crossroads. We don't even know who is the face of the like the face of the NBA as in who's the the team that consistently finds success and gets themselves in position to win championships. We're not that stage yet. That can still be determined. And I think at the end of the day, Siakam can still prove that he can match up against Tatum. It has to all altogether come from him. Remember, Masai put a lot of trust in Siakam by not tra- trading him and letting Kawhi and both well, and Danny Green walk mm-hmm. in free agency last summer. That says a lot. If Masai trusts you that much to become the face of the franchise, you have to live up to those expectations. And like we were saying earlier, Siakam has lived up to them in the regular season, not so in the playoffs so far. But if there's any chance for him to prove that he can become the face of this team and become the face of this team for a long time, it starts with game three. If he doesn't show it, I don't know how Masai is going to react. But like I said, there's going to be some tough decisions that have to be made. 100% exactly that. Again, like, you know, I can make up excuses for Siakam, and I think they're they're reasonable excuses, you know, and his ceiling is still high. Um, but exactly that. We have to look towards Game 3 and see, you know, can he can he pick things up now that the Raptors truly need it? This is this is the time to, to you know, play your heart out. And mm-hmm. we have to see if Pascal Siakam can do that. Um, and while we wrap up, you know, talk about this series, uh, I, I do want to talk about, you know, what do you think about the officiating? Because that's been a, a kind of a controversial topic um, about, you know, the officiating was pretty bad against Toronto. Um, one thing that stuck out, especially in game two, was there were no calls against Toronto uh, or, uh, you know, against the Celtics um, in the first half at all. The Raptors had zero free throws in the whole first half, and that's almost unheard of to have zero free throws in, in two quarters. Meanwhile, the, the Boston Celtics had nine free throws. And, um, you know, when you're not when you're not going to the line really often at all, you know, that's it, it is a, a big it is a big red flag, not just on the team, but on the officiating as well. Mm-hmm. And then the big uh, officiating problem that, you know, was pretty apparent was there the the Pascal Siakam out of bounds call um late in the fourth quarter um again it was super close to the line honestly on video you sometimes even looks it, it looks like he wasn't out of bounds so it's very controversial um very debatable but i've seen the screen caps go around on twitter and um i believe it was jalen brown there was a moment in the game where jalen brown was clearly out of bounds and it didn't get called and mm-hmm. um yeah i think it just Again, I don't want to use the officiating as a as a crutch or as an excuse for the Raptors' loss because, as you said, it was a three-point game. The Raptors were in it, and simply put, you know, they had a 12-point lead even in the uh, in the third quarter, and they blew that. So, simply put, they did not play well down the stretch when, when you know, it was needed, and they let it slip mm-hmm. away to the Celtics. So, it's not even the officiating's fault. But, you know, officiating does play a big part, so I want to know what your thoughts on that are. I'm kind of feeling the same way that you do. Uh, obviously, the officiating was a little bit spotty, definitely questionable. But first of all, 
the NBA's last two minute report uh, confirms that uh, all the uh, calls from that game were correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as you, whether or not you agree with that, that's up to you. But that's what the NBA decided. We can argue it. Uh, I'd say that maybe there was they should have some of the calls should have been looked at, especially the out of bounds calls, which is something that uh, is very interesting to look at and something that I think a lot of teams like it's it's the kind of things that most more often than not usually get overlooked. But when it's in situations like this where a game is so close. It's so frustrating that that has to be one of the things we look at. But again, remember what I was talking about earlier, how this Raptors team has set up their uh, their struggles in the fourth quarter and also uncanny ability to not go to the free throw line. And the Celtics, God-given talents of uh, playing clean basketball. I Obviously, that was a joke. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, what, was I, what was I getting at here? The Raptors still managed to keep it a three lose the game within three points that tells you that if the raptors had had a few more free throw attempts maybe the score looks a little different but again like you said if you can't rely on the refs to help give get you back in the game mm-hmm. you have to create your own offense and what i think is the bigger tell is that stretch of the third quarter and start the start of the fourth quarter where the raptors struggled mightily to get shots off getting shots in good positions and they missed that to me was the difference maker. If the Raptors hit even half of the shots during that stretch, they win that game. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah, yet again, it's, it's not all on the officiating. Of course, good officiating helps both teams in the end, but the Raptors let it slip away and they have a lot to do before I ask the next question. Um, this actually just happened, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted that the NBA is fining uh, Celtics uh, Marcus Smart for $5,000 for flopping in game two. Um, <laughs> I want to know just your quick thoughts on that. I mean, for me, I think it's it's definitely good because, I mean, if anything, we're talking about officiating. What a coincidence that this happens because I think it, it does mean the NBA is kind of looking at it with a closer eye and we can just hope that game three will be officiated a little more tightly and um a little a little more fair for both teams but i want to know your uh your thoughts super quickly i think it just comes down to that we hope that in game three the officiating is a little bit more balanced in the sense that both teams are getting their calls i think that's just really what it comes down to in sports in general you hope that the calls are fair for both sides that one team is not getting treat treatment over the other and i think that this is one way that shows hey we messed up in this game we're going to make it right in a sense by starting to find uh, one of the players. Hopefully that means uh, I'm guessing what's going to happen is if the Raptors didn't get that many calls like in their favor, I'm guessing the NBA is going to be more fair and they're going to be calling a lot more stuff on the Celtics. I don't know. Something tells me that's what's going to happen because mm. there always is that, that thing yeah. in sports where they always try to balance things out. It's like, Oh, we were too harsh on you guys. We're going to make it fair by harsh being harsh on them this time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. yeah, again, I mean, the, the $5,000 fine, $5,000 isn't a big penalty for these million dollar, millionaire athletes, but I think it does show that the league is kind of setting some more eyes onto that series and onto the officiating in that series. And I think it just gives a little hope that they'll be more watchful in game three, in games three and four. Mm-hmm. And think of it this way the game was that close that potentially a flop, that, that call that was called on him 
could have made a difference. If that was not called, then maybe the Celt the game is tied and they go to mm, overtime. Exactly. That's I think that's the big thing people have to recognize too. It's not like oh well they felt bad. Uh, let's just hand him five thousand dollars because you're up two nothing. No, it's more. That was a critical play. It should have been called correctly. We're going to make sure we recognize that we made a mistake. Simple as that. Exactly. And uh, yeah, let's just hope they don't make any further mistakes. Um, but knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood. Um, but we have a lot. We still have a lot of things to talk about. Obviously, this week the Raptors Celtics series is the at the forefront of sports news right now. Um, but I do have to ask you, what adjustments need to be made to get back in the series? Again, like I was saying earlier uh, in my other answers, it's got to come down from shot selection. The Raptors were simply given too many uh, oppor- took too many shots when there was a bit too much coverage in their in their way. And that's just not good basketball, especially for a team like the Raptors. Like we can, I can look at this entire team and I can say these guys can can get things done offensively. There's no telling when they will go off offensively. Like Lowry, Van Fleet, Siakam, uh, Ibaka, Gasol, all those guys, they can put the ball in the basket. They just need to make sure they do it consistently and they get their open looks. They're a good team as they, they can move the ball very well. If you can get to the, the ball to open looks, you'll have a much better time in game three. Because in game two, the Raptors, I think, like I said, that stretch in the third quarter is going to define the whole game, for me at least. Because the fact that they were not getting anything going and they were struggling to find uh, different approaches is what's for me, has to be addressed in game three. Because if they can't fix their shot selection... Who's to say that the Celtics are not going to go on another run in Game Three, mm-hmm. and they could pay, potentially take a commanding three nothing lead? Exactly, and I'd argue you have to do the exact same on the opposite end and stop giving too many um, open looks. You know, Marcus Smart he did catch fire in the fourth quarter and was just nailing threes, but a lot of them were open looks, and they really need to stay, you know, uptight offensively. And the Raptors, I mean, defensively, and the Raptors are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. We know this, but it seems like, you know, they really have to watch that, especially in game two. That was more apparent. And I really think they need to drive to the basket more. Again, going back to the calls. Yeah, the Raptors got zero free throws in the first half of uh, game two. But, you know, I think they could have still they could have still went to the line more and, and drove to the basket and tried to get those calls. Um, I think that's a good way because clearly their shooting was, uh, was uh, their shooting, especially beyond the arc, wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And I think getting those closer looks would be uh, way more valuable. And I definitely want to talk to you about um, the bright spots on the team. Um, mm-hmm. Serge Ibaka and especially OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi played amazingly in game two. And uh, <laughs> we've seen his growth, um, you know, all season but i think he really topped it in game two and i mean i hate to say it but he really looked like the number one option for the team there especially in game two i mean but i mean that in a positive sense because he's full of potential so how how would you want to see him be utilized i think i think it'd be a good idea to give him some more uh, opportunities uh, in game three because he definitely played well he was one of the bright spots offensively and i think uh he was a big part of why the team was able to stay in it so why not give him a bigger leash? Why not see what else he can do? If you think that he can be a big part of this team's future, and I think the Raptors certainly think he can, why not give him more opportunities to succeed? I think, if anything, 
you're going to be helping his development and you're going to give this team a better chance to win the game. So why the hell not? Exactly. Um, and I also want to ask you, how do you think they should, like the Raptors should dig deeper into their bench a little? Um, Of course, I mean, I'm thinking, I think they should, um, especially, I mean, I know a lot of fans want it. Um, obviously, there's obvious reasons, but, you know, Mr. 99, Matt Thomas, um, a lot of people want to see him get minutes and, you know, I would down the stretch. I think he can definitely get you those buckets. Again, he's such a great shooter. Um, but, you know, his defensive game just isn't there. And, uh, but I, I definitely would like to see him, you know, in the play in the third or the fourth, get a few minutes, um, mm-hmm. you know, get his legs going. I think he'll be really valuable in games three and four, um, especially game four. Uh, let's say the Raptors do face elimination. Um, offensively, the Raptors are struggling and he is, you know, a big help on the offensive end. Um, but definitely his, his big, his big issue is defense. So you really have to kind of play protective there, but I would like to see that. Absolutely. And I think, uh, Matt Thomas would definitely be a big help, but I think the bench as a whole can provide the spark. We saw that during the net series where the, the, the Raptors bench outscored, what was it? The regular, the, the starting lineup or their bench by a huge margin. Mm-hmm. Like it game, was crazy. Game, game four, I think, was the uh, NBA record for most bench points. That, hundred that bench points. You, yeah, that's just crazy. And I, that tells me that this Raptors bench can provide the spark if the starting lineup is struggling. They have options, and I think that's a good thing in basketball. So why not give the bench more chances? If if Siakam continues to struggle in Game Three, because you know that the series is on the line at that point. Give the bench a chance. Mm-hmm. Why the hell not? I think I think we're seeing Nick Nurse, who we know Nick Nurse is a, has been a defense first coach, even though he came from you know when he was with when he was under Dwayne Casey, he was working on the team's offense and reshaping that. I think as head coach, he's kind of taking this team more with a defensive approach. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think we have to look here that to give to get some more offense going, you might have to give up a little def, uh, a little defense, and I think. I think that might actually be beneficial because if they do need to dig deeper into their into their bench and to get, you know, some offense going, um, so be it. I think we, you know, especially going into games three and four, it's do or die. I think those risks have to be taken. I think Nick Nurse is a risk taker, so we'll definitely have to see what he does there. Really, all it comes down to is uh, basically this Raptors team can still make it back in this series, but it starts with a good performance in game three. As long as they're able to get their shots up, Siakam can play better than he did in Game 2 and Games 1, and you get a good performance out of your bench, then who knows what this Raptors team can do in Game 3. But also, don't give the Celtics easy looks, like you said. Don't let the Celtics play the way that they want to play, because in that fourth quarter, they were looking to shoot threes. They The Raptors should have stopped, tried to stop it as soon as the first one went in. Or, obviously ideally you'd want to see them not make any but after that first one goes in and they're trying to do it again you should be able to stop it it shouldn't have been that easy you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and it was really hard because i mean i mean marcus smart he was he just caught fire like yeah he got a lot of open looks but a lot of them were contested and i mean you can't stop those you know you can't really do much when it is you know you do contest it well and it just happens to go in okay big deal you know focus on the next one but he was consistently making it, and I think the Raptors had to change up something on the defensive end there. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's just really what it's going to come down to. As long as those things can play out and the Raptors don't let the Celtics uh, dictate the play, the t- pace of play, then I think this Raptors team can most definitely get back in this series and make it 2-1. to one. Exactly. What do you think? Yeah, actually, I, I'm, I mean, I know everyone's saying look to the Milwaukee series last season and that definitely was a completely different uh, team. But I think if we learned with anything with this uh, Raptors team is, you know, don't give up yet. They're not a team that... Um, they're not a team that gives up early. Even mm-hmm. if even if they're down at a deficit, you know, they, they find ways to come back. And I think it again, we've talked about it, but I think it, it definitely goes back to those starters have to find it within themselves to catch fire in game three. Um, but with that, I think obviously the Raptors were the big topic of the week in sports, so that's why we spent a lot of time there. I want to wrap up the NBA playoff talk with uh, a couple other things we've seen around the league first i don't know if you've uh if you caught game seven of uh the nuggets and the jazz last night man mm-hmm. that series was so good the nuggets obviously took it in seven games um jamal murray our canadian pride and joy he's been insane and i know he he mm-hmm. he, he did go down um early yesterday and still played uh injured it looked like he injured his leg but he was okay and he caught fire when it mattered most you know, with in the fourth quarter and it was you know it was a back and forth game they only won by two points oh. donovan mitchell was shooting lights out as well um but i want to talk about jamal murray because of course he is canadian <laughs> um he does have those ties and i think a lot of canadians are going to be looking towards him now as one of their favorite players i know i do i, I think he's oh awesome. me too he's the man right now 50 points in uh was it game six or game five one of those two yeah mm-hmm. 50 points he really and i mean they overcame uh I mean, the Jazz blew a 3-1 lead, <laughs> simply put. But <laughs> the Nuggets, led literally led by Jamal Murray. Of course, uh, Jokic is the leader of that team. But Jamal Murray, I think, is becoming a superstar in this league. Me too. One of the top I, point I, guards, yeah. I really loved the Twitter reaction during towards the end of Game 6, going crazy after every bucket he made. It was mm-hmm. one of the f- most enjoyable things I've seen on Twitter all year. I can't rem- I remember a time... Other than maybe the Leafs game four comeback win, where Twitter was that exciting. Like, it's so much fun to watch Jamal Murray really come into his own. And just like his development as like from like, well, I can't remember where he was drafted <laughs> in the first round. Yeah, he was but, the first rounder. But yeah, it was definitely wasn't, you know, he wasn't a top pick per se, but he really, he's really figured things out. And I think he fits perfectly on that Denver team. And they've been competing, you know, year after year. You know what? On the flip side, too, this is going to be a very interesting offseason for the Jazz. Like, first of all, they blew a 3-1 lead in the first round. But second, questions are going to be arising about Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and the core that they've established there. Is that team good enough? Is that team going to be able to compete for championships? I'm not so sure now. Because mm-hmm. this, this season proved that they're still, they still need some more pieces. Yeah, I mean, they even made the trade for Mike Conley in the offseason. Um and it, it doesn't look, you know, maybe there's internal problems. You know, we have seen reports that, you know, after the whole pandemic um, kind of issue there with Rudy Gobert, you know, kind of spreading coronavirus to Donovan Mitchell. Um, we saw that there was some bad blood there, but, you know, they were able to get it down on the floor. And Donovan Mitchell is the centerpiece for that jazz team. Rudy Gobert is amazing. And I really hope that, you know, there aren't chemistry issues there. But uh, I definitely think that Utah Jazz team needs to work. Um, they need to work on getting over that hump. I don't know if any changes are coming there. 
but yeah, we'll just have to see. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about some other series that mm-hmm. happened in the first round. Uh, first of all, the Clippers and Maverick series, I did not expect that to be the one where the favorite was in trout in danger of being eliminated by the underdog. I mean, that was an amazing series by the Mavs. I have to say there's one reason for that. And that's because of the Don Luka Doncic. That's exactly why insane. We didn't even get to talk about this last week or the week before, but Luka Doncic, I mean, we talked about him all season, how he's just propelled himself to MVP, uh, to an MVP caliber talent in his second year. I really think we're seeing, you know, I mean, it's a little too early to say that, but if he's going to play for the rest of his career at this trajectory, I think we are seeing one of the all-time greats mm-hmm. or the emergence of an all-time great. I think we're just, this is the debut performance of what's going to be one of the the brightest stars in the NBA. It, you know what this reminded me of? Um, what was it? The 2017 series between the Leafs and the Capitals where Austin Matthews put on a show against the President's Trophy winners. Mm-hmm. Like Luka Doncic, everyone thought, oh, the Clippers are going to easily win this series in like five games, possibly even a sweep. Doncic has no chance of uh, making his presence. And Paul George was like super confident, like, oh, we're, we're good. We're good. This is going to be easy. No, Doncic played amazing. And this is this is not this is only the beginning for him. Like you said, I can't wait to see what this guy does a few years from now, once he's fully developed and figured out how to play North American style basketball. Oh and yeah. Truth be told, the Clippers are still a good team. They still put up a good fight, but I think you have to wonder, is that Clippers team in trouble? I mean, first I want to talk about the Mavs um, and Luka. Oh, Doncic. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before I get to the Clippers um, again, I mean, he's, he basically set the NBA record for most uh, averaging the most points per game. Um, in his first playoff series, in a player's first playoff series ever. So that's huge. But the fact that in his first playoff series, he really stepped up and looked like a, you know, a playoff perform performer superstar. And how many superstars do we actually know, you know, can't bring it when, uh, when the time comes, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. like, we know Kawhi Leonard is one of the players who can bring it. We know Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, LeBron James. Those are players who have proven themselves in the clutch in um in playoff games and you know other other superstars like russell westbrook james harden even chris paul um you know they've struggled at times and to see these things coming from a night you know a 20 year old luka Doncic, um you know in his first playoffs when you can already say he's a playoff performer of course he doesn't have the you know it's his first playoffs so i'm not gonna even fault him for not going past the first round but mm-hmm. when you can label him like that already like, that's a huge step as a superstar. And on top of that, I mean, I just want to mention, you know, uh, what the, the the game winner, his buzzer-beating game winner over, uh, I forgot who it was over. I think uh, I think it was Jackson. I forgot. Um, but his, his buzzer-beating uh, overtime uh, winner mm-hmm. was insane. It was right there yep. with Kawhi Leonard's game winner. Honestly, even though that was, you know, the first Game 7 buzzer-beater winner, I think the energy... And just who he was, the story and the narrative behind him, you know, obviously with uh, Montrez Harrell, Harrell uh, you know, you know, we've seen the back and forth between them. We've seen Morris uh, go at it with uh, with uh, Luka Doncic. We've seen the Clippers, you know, he was public enemy number one to the Clippers and he was able to shrug off all pressure and put up a 40 point triple double and a buzzer beating uh, game winner. 
That's insane. That is insane. Absolutely. And like I said, I think Luka Doncic is just getting started. This guy has what it takes to become one of the faces of the NBA. Well, I think the team itself still has to figure things out. Uh, they still need to grow. But I think the Maps are going to be one of the scariest teams in the Western Conference for years to come. I look forward to it. Yeah. And let's not forget that, um, you know, Kristaps Porzingis was out for the last two games in the series. And he was ejected in game one. And Luka Doncic, you know, that's his sidekick. That is his sidekick, you know, his, the, 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 and they're very young too. A very young pair of uh, stars. And he showed that he is the number one option. And, you know, he's, he's not scared of any pressure. So mm-hmm. it's going to be crazy. But on to the Clippers side. Yeah, it definitely looks like there's internal problems. Um, a lot of drama we've seen with Lou Williams, you know, leaving the bubble, that, that story there. Um, Paul George has been struggling. Uh, he kind of brought it in, in the later half of the series. Um, Kawhi Leonard's been great as usual. Um, but, uh, you know, Morris, he's been uh, drawing a lot of controversy. Um, I don't know if you saw Pat Bev, Pat, Patrick Beverly. Um, you know, he said some really bad stuff uh, in, in a players meeting. Um, just, you know, from left and right, that team looks like a very problematic team. Um mm-hmm. But they're able to get it done simply because of the talent they have. Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard has not been problematic, but you have to think. I don't know what he's thinking. You know, uh, I know he doesn't like to have to deal with those kind of things. So we, I wonder what the locker room presence is like. But I think that mm-hmm. team is getting by because they have, simply put, they have so much talent on their team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but I wonder though how far that talent's going to take them mm-hmm. because you you you've seen the pictures, right? of Kawhi not looking particularly happy. Like he's like, you, I mean, obviously we've seen some moments where he looked a little frustrated when he was with the Raptors, but nothing like we've seen this year with the Clippers. I don't think Kawhi has had a year this frustrating since his last season with the Spurs, like at least for him personally. So I wonder if maybe, like you said, that there is some uh, internal conflict uh, between him, between the Clippers uh, on a, on a team basis. But of course, that talent has brought them to the point where they were able to get past the first round mm-hmm. and they were able to survive a scare against the Mavs. But they're playing, they're going to be up against a Nuggets team that is hungry, up to Maul Murray, who's been playing excellent basketball these last few days. I'm curious if that's a series where that could go the distance because I think that could go the distance. I think so too. I mean, unless the Clippers can, you know, either figure out those side controversies and those side problems or if they if they could find the will to ignore it um they they have they have some trouble there and and you got to think you know how much of this of these you know side problems are holding back the clippers you know like if they weren't there what to what degree would the clippers be playing and i mean paul george as well has to he has to become he has to actually become playoff p as he dubs himself he has to become Mm -hmm. that and we have to see what it's like. And I mean, to Kawhi Leonard, I hope uh, I hope being in the sun was worth this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And I think uh, I think we should start wrapping up the playoff uh, NBA playoff yeah. talk with that. But do you have any anything you want to add? I think one more series I want to look at really quickly is the uh, Rockets and the Thunder, which mm-hmm. is technically still the last first round series that has to be finished. Uh-huh. And if that's tonight at 9 p.m., uh, by the time this podcast is out, you'll already know the outcome. But just going into it, uh, just the fact that 
Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook are neck and neck at this point. How crazy is that? It is crazy. I definitely think Chris Paul has been playing a lot better um, even this season. You know, he's really shown that he can bring it. He's been insane. Simply put, he's really been leading that Thunder team, you know, as underdogs. That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. As underdogs. And, um, yeah, I mean, what's crazy is that, you know, he was with James Harden. And it's crazy to see how they could have went so far. But, of course, we know that there were internal problems there. There were chemistry issues there that really held them back. And I think it's just going to be a crazy game seven. I, I definitely agree, too. I think, and I I think, think it's anyone's game. Really? Especially the fact that uh, it's, it's just come down to the wire. Like, it was the Rockets were up 2 nothing. The, the Thunders were able to tie it back and forth, games five and six. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the visiting team has not won a single game in this series. Am I wrong? I have to double check that, but it, it sounds familiar. Because I wonder how much the home uh, court advantage, I don't, uh, even though there's not really home yeah, court. It doesn't but. really matter, but uh, you know, I don't know. I Maybe, you know, there are some fans watching. I don't know if that helps these players <laughs> well, mentally in their minds. I don't know what goes through their minds, but maybe. Yeah, I think that's really going to come down to which team is going to show up in this game. It's going to determine the winner. And I think... Uh, how given how close all the games have been, like for the for the uh, Thunder, I'm gonna guess this is gonna be another close one. And oh, yeah. like you said, it could go either way. But could go either way. I think the Rockets have the better team all around, and I think that they're. I'm gonna give them the slight edge, but who knows? I think we say that this first round uh, of playoff basketball has been absolutely nuts. It's been really fun to watch. It's lived up to, to its potential, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but with that, I think we'll head into our next topic. We're going to switch over to hockey now. Um, I know we've kind of taken a break from hockey. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have. But there has been a little bit of things going on, uh, mainly with the Leafs. Um, a lot of trade rumors and a trade that actually went down. Kasperi Kapanen was traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I mean, what am I saying? To the Pittsburgh Penguins from the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, the Leafs actually received the 15th overall pick in this year's draft and that was i mean i'll keep it simple that was the main centerpiece of the of the uh of the trade but there were other uh pieces but i just want to know your quick thoughts on that trade i think it was a good trade it was a trade the leafs needed to make in the sense that they needed a first round pick badly and the fact that they were able to get one so close to where their actual pick was is good work by dubis he ended up making a if you think about it this way, the Marlowe trade didn't work out great, even though they weren't able to make a, like get the first overall pick, which would have been amazing, but who, who cares about that now? Now that they have a first-round pick, and it's close to that Marlowe trade, you definitely look at the one where the Marlowe pick was. It definitely changed your perception of that trade a little bit. First, mm -hmm. that's that's one thing. But with Kapanen, I think you, me and you would both agree that Kapanen definitely could have done a lot more. And I think there's definitely potential that he could have become a better player. But part of me wonders if off-ice issues and his stagnation offensively is what pre what prevented him from staying in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we both heard there was rumblings of potential off-ice friction. And you know, you remember back in February where he got scratched for a game against the Ottawa Senators. I wonder if that played a factor in that trade. Because if it did, 
then it's it's sad to see him go that way. Oh, because yeah. I think he could have done so much more. Yeah. I think what it came down to was the Leafs lineup logjam in a way. The Leafs' top six is kind of already set. And in terms of their bottom six, they have replacements um, available. Uh, of course, they just signed uh, Barbanov. And yep. Nick Robertson is also looking to make the jump to the NHL. And Kasperi Kapanen, even if he turns into... I mean, the thing is, he could have the potential to become a 30-goal 30, a 30 scorer. But on a team like the Leafs, where that top six is kind of already um, you know, determined, he wouldn't get that shot either way to get those mm-hmm. minutes to score 30 goals, even more possibly. So in a sense the Leafs kind of had to hold him back from his full potential. And you can't always bank on that. Sometimes you have to be okay with uh, giving that up. And he did become an expendable asset because of that. And I think the Penguins on their side, I think they're looking for, you know, the Crosby effect, which is they need those top six uh, forwards. They need someone to throw on Crosby's wing. And as we've seen lots of times in the past, Crosby can turn, I mean, I don't want to say anyone, but he could really turn a lot of wingers even if they're not necessarily if they don't necessarily have the potential to be a top six forward he turns them into a top six forward and i think they're hoping mm-hmm. that casper kapanen can slot alongside either crosby or malkin and become that so in a in a sense i think he goes back to the fit and the fit leading to him be, being expendable and uh i think it worked out for toronto i think it really worked out for toronto i think uh, the penguins had to overpay there but they're mm-hmm. holding on to that last bit of window with the Crosby and Malkin core. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just just to recap, the trade was the Penguins received Barry Kapanen, Pontus Aberg, and Jesper Lindgren from the Leafs. Yep. And the Leafs received the 15th overall pick. Evan Rodriguez, who I, I do want to quickly talk about as well, um, and David, David Warsawski and Philip Hollander. And I just want to break it down really quick. David Warsawski, I think, is a kind of throw in i don't think he'll really make an impact for the leafs at all mm-hmm. um in even in the leaf system i don't think i don't think he's a focal point definitely the 15th overall pick is huge because it's a very deep draft so that holds a lot more value than usual and i think leafs fans should almost be very excited to see what they can draft uh, what the leafs can who the leafs can draft with that 15th overall pick mm-hmm. um and then i want to talk to you what do you think evan rodriguez and philip hollander can bring because hollander he's a very uh He's an intriguing prospect, and he mm-hmm. was, I think, arguably the second or third best prospect in the Penguin system before they traded him to the Leafs. And Evan Rodriguez is that fourth line, that capable fourth line uh, center um, that yeah. can really bring a lot of depth. So I want to know what your thoughts are on those two players. Well, first off with uh, Philip Hollander, I found it very interesting that the Leafs were really uh, interested in him and drafting him back in 2018 before they ended up drafting Sean Dersey. Yeah, 2018. Uh, I found that very uh, intriguing, especially after the interview. He said uh, they really wanted me back in 2018. Dubis said a lot of great things. Really excited to have me. I can't say enough that that's such a great first impression. Something along those lines. That's really telling for me because I think the Leafs really wanted him too. I don't think Hollander was a throw-in. I think Hollander plus the first was the main price to get Casper uh, Kapanen to Pittsburgh. And I think the Leafs are going to be very happy with Hollander because he could potentially be an intriguing player that could fit into their middle six at some point. Maybe top six, who knows? But 
the more prospect centers that you have or wingers in this case, the better because the Leafs could definitely use it, even though their wingers are super loaded. And as for Evan Rodriguez, listen, say what you will about Freddie, say what you will about Spezza, but the Leafs have to figure out what their plan is for the fourth line center role fast because they cannot truck three centers. You can only really have two, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Basically, Basically, what I'm getting at here is they need to make a decision like who's going to be on their fourth line next year. And I think Evan Rodriguez is an intriguing player in the sense that he can provide some value. And plus, he has the hometown uh, factor as well because he is from Toronto. So maybe he wants to play well because it's for his hometown team and he's got a lot of talented players around him. Maybe much more so than when he was in Buffalo last year. You know, I, I like your point Sorry, about... Jack Eichel. <laughs> I like your point about how they have to decide on their fourth line. And I think it plays a lot into this entire trade market in, in general. I think the Leafs, what they need to do is figure out exactly what they want their bottom six to be. Because I think what we're seeing is that the Leafs are very rich in forwards right now. Both, you know, in their system and who are on the Leafs. And I think they need to really take in account who they want to keep and actually make those moves. Um, you know, keep keep the depth pieces, but there are pieces that you can move. And I think that's what we're seeing with Andreas Janssen and, uh, you know, that we've seen with Kasperi Kapanen and even Alex Kerfoot. And really take a glance at, you know, do you want Jason Spezza still? Did you find your replacement for him? Do you want Frederick Gauthier still? And trying to save money down the line there for sure so and that kind of leads into my next question is about do you see the Leafs making any other trades and I know you could fill us in a bit a bit about the other Leafs trade rumors uh that's that's been going on right now yeah the answer is an emphatic yes there's a lot of smoke so that means the fire is not too far away like today especially we've been seeing a lot of uh juicy content in regards to Frederick Anderson's future that's a player that a lot of fans are convinced is probably on the move and today pretty much confirmed that yes he is most likely going to be traded where is he going to be traded to we don't know but it looks like frederick anderson's time as a leaf is done it sounds also to me that andreas johnson and or kerford are going to be on the move kerford's very interesting because i thought he played very well in the playoffs but if they're leasing a new look for the third line center, then sure you got to trade Kerfoot. But the only way you trade is if you know for sure you're getting that third line center back, mm -hmm. because like obviously the Leafs are going to miss Kadri for for his talent alone and just his grittiness. But if Kerfoot gets to play with Robertson, he can play very well. But again, if you're going to move him, make sure you're getting that quality third line center back. But for Janssen, I think it makes a lot of sense why he's going to get traded. Remember what we were talking about uh, a few months ago about potentially trading Janssen? What does Janssen bring to the Leafs that stands out amongst the forwards? I honestly can't think of anything. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can. And, I mean, even to that point, we saw him miss a significant portion of the season um, and even the first few games of the playoffs. And, honestly, I don't think, I don't think the team or I don't think fans really took notice because, you know... We only really got to see him play in, what, one game? And again, I don't think he, the, the Leafs really took a step back necessarily because of his absence. And I don't think they took a step forward when he when he re-entered the lineup necessarily. Yeah, that that's pretty much the telling sign for me. If Janssen does not make or break your team's 
synchronization and your offensive playing abilities, then why is he still on the team? That's really what it comes down to. Is it loyalty? Is that sometimes he can play gritty? Is that sometimes he can score the big goal? If you can't confidently say that he can provide something that's unique, then you should find a way to get some value off him while you still can. Because I think that val- that contract is decent value. You can, There's definitely some teams that could use some uh, forward help in their middle six. That's where I think Janssen fits in the best. And clearly, Robertson is too good to be sitting out a bunch of games. They want to see what Barbanov can bring. Now's the time to move on from Andreas Janssen. Exactly. So that's why I think it makes sense why he's in the rumor mill. Exactly. So I want to get, keep this podcast moving a little quicker here. but uh, Oh, of course. Yeah, the, we've got a lot the, to talk about still. The la- on the last front of the trade rumors, the big one is Freddie Anderson. What do you want to see in a Frederick Anderson trade? Yes, that's a question that uh, Quinn asked us to do. Um, okay, we'll just jump to that because I think it fits perfectly here, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Quinn basically asked, uh, what do you think a Frederick Anderson trade looks like? And honestly... If you're going to trade Freddie, you better be getting a goalie back because there's no way the Leafs are going to be trading Anderson if they don't know for sure that they're getting back their new starter. Mm-hmm. Because that's the big thing. The bottom line is the Leafs need a new option in their starter crease. If you remember back after the Leafs got eliminated, I wrote a piece the very next day called It's Time to Move On from Frederick Anderson. And while I'm glad he was able to provide his statistical consistency during the regular season got the Leafs to the playoffs all those times played well for the most part statistically speaking how can you trust frederick anderson to play well in a game seven when he can't even do that and this year was a game five and the same story happened i think yeah i think simply put is that kind of the leafs need to change gears in some way they need to make some sort of change and it's glaring that the, the goalie situation is what, you know, is a possibility for something that needs to be changed. Yep. And, like, they need a shakeup. And, I mean, goaltending is one thing that needs a shakeup, so go ahead and do it. And, again, I'm right with you that they need to get a goaltender in return or I think they need to at least, I you need to hope that Kyle Dubas has one of those UFA goalies uh, lined up, if anything, if, if they decide mm-hmm. to trade frederick anderson without getting a goalie in return you need to hope that they have a uh a goalie a ufa goalie maybe robin laner mm-hmm. even i don't know Braden holtby i don't know there's there's a number of options in the free agency market this uh this uh, this off season but uh yeah we'll have to see we'll have to see um, basically 100%. about the goalies just before we move on to the next one is basically you're banking on the possibility that laner is not going to re-sign with vegas no way that's going to happen because Ve- Leonard's played exceptionally well in these playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Holtby, I think, is for sure gone, but I think his asking price is going to be way too high for the least to stomach, especially if they really want Petrangelo, who I don't think is going anywhere. But simply put, there's just the best possible route the least can get to upgrade their goalie position is through a trade. So it looks like to me, if the Leafs are going to be trading Frederick Anderson, the rumors are suggesting that Matt Murray's the guy the Leafs are going to be getting as their new starter. Because mm-hmm. I just saw this tweet uh, from Tom Hunter at Puck Don't Lie that said, Darren Dreger is on TSN 1050, heavily implying that Dubas is all set to inquire Matt Murray if he ends up finding a good return for Freddie Anderson. So essentially, Leaf fans, 
get ready to meet your new starter in Matt Murray because well, that's who the Leafs really want. We'll have to see. <laughs> we'll have to see if Dubas can fleece uh, Jim Rutherford again. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Not we'll, well see. I'm not gonna say not we'll quite, but basically, we'll My see la- what happens. Last thing I want to say is, isn't it funny how Robin Lehner was technically a Maple Leaf for a very, very, very short amount of time? I mean. <laughs> Hey, let's make the reunion happen, guys. Need For that, longer than us. We need seconds. that jersey swap. <laughs> but, Raise the uh, banner. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what's going on in uh in Leafland, and we have a lot to cover uh still. So uh honestly, I just want to quickly say, in terms of the NHL playoffs, um, there's been a just I just want to say that the, the you know the the teams that are you know already in the uh, final eight and the teams that are kind of up to enter the final four right now, it's just been a big surprise. And it's, I think it's, it's mm-hmm. been a really interesting playoffs. You know, we, we could potentially see the stars um, advance, the Islanders advance, um, Tampa Bay already advanced and uh, you know, yeah. And uh, Vegas as well. Um, and uh, we could see them advance as well. And it's just, it's a pretty wacky playoffs and uh well i'm just hyped that we'll see you know another new stanley cup winner i basically for me the biggest surprise in these playoffs has been the stars and also by extension the avalanche because who would have guessed that it was the stars that stopped the avalanche from making like what everyone thought was going to be for sure abs versus tampa in the stanley cup final Mm-hmm. This has been a great year for Dallas. Dallas is a very well-built team. I think a lot of people don't really pay attention to them as much, just because oh, they don't have as many stars. They don't they don't play an offensively-minded game. They're more defensively inept. But think of it this way: Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben, and Alexander Radulov on their front end. Cliff Clefbaum, no, not Clefbaum. Can uh, uh, John Klingberg. Uh, a few other guys back there, I can't remember. Heiskanen. And Ben Bishop. Yeah, Heiskanen, yes. Heiskanen, Thank huge. Thank you for that. And Ben Bishop in that. That's a scary good team. I think that could be the Stan- one of the Stanley Cup finalists this year. I'm really starting to believe that they can make it to the Stanley Cup finals. They are that good. Oh, yeah. And uh, I even I want to bring uh, attention to even Joe Pavelski. I know we've talked about him a lot um, These uh, you know this this season on the podcast talked about i really do think he was you know he is a a big glue guy i think i think he helps the team's chemistry a lot we saw kind of the collapse that the um you know that the shark suffered um this season and we also uh we also see now that he's you know i he's he's playing really well with the uh with the stars and i think that's a big thing and i think we definitely have to see uh what happens what happens next but uh, i think he he deserves a lot of props absolutely and the same goes for of course for the islanders too like obviously dallas has been playing well but the islanders continue to impress a lot of hockey fans even myself i was not expecting them to make it out of that series against the flyers but lo and behold they're up three three to two mm-hmm. and that's speaks testament to barry tross's uh coaching the the team has bought into his uh his game plan and it's worked really well so far. My question is, though, is this team going to be able to stick together? Because one of the talking points throughout the season is how much money, how many players they have to sign and how little money they have to spend. And especially now with the flat cap, I think the Islanders recognize that they don't have much time to make this thing work. So they have to, if they want to compete for a cup, this is probably their best chance. For sure. 
for sure. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. These are very interesting playoffs and um, yeah, a lot of surprises. And I think the conference finals will, will be surprising as well. Um, Next week, guys, we will make our predictions. Don't worry. For sure. We just don't have time. Our, our original predictions got all messed up, to be honest. Let's be yeah. <laughs> um, I don't even remember my predictions, yeah. but go on. But uh, no, I want to move into a little bit of baseball. I know we neglect baseball a lot <laughs> on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, but the Blue Jays really look like they're um, they're going for it this year. They really look for they're going look like they're going for it. And uh, next week, I do want to talk a lot more about baseball. Um, but the MLB trade deadline um, just passed, and the Blue Jays made a number of moves. And I want to know your thoughts on that. Uh, you know what? To be honest, I'm pretty surprised that this Blue Jays team is in the position that they're in. First mm-hmm. of all, the Red Sox being in dead last is super surprising. I thought they could at least still compete, but not not be dead last in the alleys and do worse than the Orioles, who had a, one of the worst seasons in a long time. But the Rays are in first. That's surprising. The Yankees are in second. And the Jays could theoretically be in con- contention for a wild card spot. So... Why not make the moves that they made in the at the deadline? Because while it's not a full guarantee that they're going to make it, because I still think 2021 is their first real shot at it, I think it speaks testaments to the team that they've assembled so far. And honestly, like it's been great to see. They mm-hmm. they find a way to come back in games. They're they're never fully out of it. The stars are starting to play better. Bichette is the real deal. Vladdy's playing much better. Bichette. No, I mean, Biggio has made leaps and bounds in his development. The starters have been good, too. Like, it's been great this year. And I think it really speaks to the moves that they made at the deadline. And I think uh, Blue Jays fans, you have every reason to be very excited about this team. And I think the the, the deals at the deadline, if anything, shows that exactly that they're, they're going for it. Um, they weren't any huge blockbuster deals, really. But they were definitely deals that show that the Blue Jays are moving towards trying to fill gaps and become more depthful for a hopeful playoff run i mean especially um you know fixing up their starting pitching core that's the main thing and it looks like they're taking on a lot of uh you know the players that are kind of projects in their own right get them for a cheaper deal and then uh hope that you can get them up to par with uh with the where 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 the blue jays are trying to go that's what you're trying to do as gm and uh and I think they're great deals, and yeah, I'm very excited to see um, how uh, how this Blue Jays uh, team, you know, the rest of the season pans out. Of course, it's a shortened season, so we talked about it before. They have to keep this, they have to keep this uh, momentum going without any slip ups, or else, you know, with this shortened season, your playoff spot can be gone just like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right now the Blue Jays are 18 and 16. They're currently playing the Miami Marlins right now in mm-hmm. Miami. They are two games short of a wild card spot in the AL. Mm-hmm. Does this wrap? Does this Blue Jays team make the playoffs as a wild card? I think it's very possible. I think it's very very possible. Again, it's just about getting those games to go your way. I think it really mm-hmm. is that. And again, their pitching staff was the big was the big gaping issue heading into the season and these uh these deals really really show that that's what they're going for to improve in that front um again they didn't make any blockbuster trades for any you know any stars or anything but they picked up some depthful pieces that help will help them go the long you know for the long run Mm -hmm. i agree with you there 
I think it's the playoffs are most definitely a possibility. But if they don't make it, it'll be very close. And I think that is going to tell a lot about the uh, state of the Blue Jays. They're mm-hmm. uh, they're definitely on the right track. And I think, like I said earlier, their 2021 production is looking pretty good right now. That's all I'm going to say. For sure. Um, so here, I think we will take a quick break and then head into our NBA redraft, which uh, we're finally recontinuing after taking a break from that. So let's take a short break and then be right back. We just had our water. We've had, we've got to stretch our legs a little bit, and we're back and ready for the 2013 NBA redraft. And I have to say, I took a quick look at the draft and what we're projected our picks are going to be. It is going to be a lot different than how things actually turned out in real life. Oh yeah, I mean, quick little refresher on the 2013 NBA draft. Um, I I can vividly remember watching this draft on TV. Um, Anthony Bennett was the first overall pick. And I forgot who the uh, commentator was, but I just remember when he got selected and on TV that they went, whoa, (laughs) (laughs) nobody saw that coming. Like they really didn't see that coming. And I uh, I mean, we saw him. I mean, I had high hopes because he was, he was the first Canadian to go first overall. That was huge. Mm -hmm. Um, So of course us here in Canada, we were rooting for him, but and unfortunately, his career did not go as planned. Um, he was off the Cavs in a, in a couple of years. I remember he signed with the Raptors and then was demoted to the uh, to the D League. Uh, the Raptors down five, and then couldn't even make the cut on that team. And uh, yeah, so um, I was I was telling you before if if we really ran a full redraft, I don't even know if he'd get drafted even in the second round. Mm-hmm. So it's it's such a shame his career didn't work out, but. Then again, it was cool to have him on the Raptors for a little bit. Oh, yeah. It was cool. Um, but anyways, we'll start with our draft. And uh, do I have the first overall pick? Yes, you do. And I can already tell you right now, you have the easiest pick of all <laughs> I time. do. And just a refresher for anyone who's just joining us for the first time. We've been doing these redrafts for uh, the last few episodes. Uh, quite a while we did um, seven NHL redrafts. And now we're doing seven NBA redrafts from 2010 up to 2017. And we mm-hmm. kind of alter, alternate picks uh, and kind of form our own teams that way. And we just do the top 10 uh, selections in the draft. And uh, with that, we'll go right away. So I have the first overall pick. And I don't even think I have to talk much about this guy. I don't think we have to analyze him much. But I'm going to take the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Future Raptor, Giannis Antetokounmpo. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, uh, our Raptors fans are hoping. But definitely, I mean... I think, again, I think he's definitely going to win MVP this season. His, mm-hmm. You know, he won it last season, so it would be back-to-back. And he's the Defensive Player of the Year this season, and he'd be in very um, big, like, important company with that uh, historic feat of winning Defensive Player of the Year and winning uh, MVP. I think only, uh, was it only Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, Michael Jordan who's won that before? I think I have to double-check yeah. that, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... Again, I just want to say it's insane that he fell to 15th. Obviously, he wasn't as scouted as well, um, obviously playing in Greece. And, um, you know, it's crazy because I was watching some Mark Cuban uh, interviews 
you know, for the uh-huh. Mavericks. He was the owner of the Mavericks, and he apparently really wanted Giannis Antetokounmpo. And we know he always loves taking his chances on international players. Um, that's how they landed Doncic again, Dirk Nowitzki in the past. Yep. And um, obviously, a lot of teams don't look at it that way. And he slid to 15th overall. Of course, he was looked at as a project. And, you know, I remember in 2013, he was that really slim, skinny, tall guy. Um, and he really worked hard and really turned it. He was a really, really raw prospect, like as raw as you can get a prospect. And he completely shot up to the top of his ceiling. And to say that he still hasn't reached his full potential is pretty scary. Um, but <laughs> it's going to be insane. I mean, what could you say? Already one of the one of the best players in the NBA and uh, can arguably finish in, uh, I mean, at the end of his career, could arguably finish in the greatest of all time race. Just to add to that, but basically how you're saying raw prospect, if there's anything that that has made NBA teams realize that they can take on a raw prospect and they have the potential to draft themselves the next Giannis. That's how impressive his turnaround has been. Like you probably remember his rookie season, like how different of a player he was compared to where he is now. It's crazy to me watching those highlights back. Like that is not the same. How is that the player that becomes an MVP? It's crazy. But it's yeah. impressive as well. It's like, crazy. Yeah, his development had, is crazy. Remember when he had like the buzz cut hair too? <laughs> oh yeah, that's what he came into the league with. Yep. Yeah. It's it's been it's been quite the the, the turnaround for him, and I'm I'm really glad to see he's, that it's he, worked out. Yeah, perfectly he really for him. put on a lot of muscle. Like he's ripped now, uh, compared to when he entered the league. And uh, I mean, he really worked on his shooting. His shooting was pretty good before, but he really worked on that and his spacing, and really took those next steps to you know adapt to the NBA. So, uh, yeah, that's my first overall pick, and uh, I think we should keep it moving. Uh, but, yeah. The the second overall pick for me is going to be the same second overall pick that happened in real life. No hesitation, Victor Oladipo. Nice pick, nice pick. Uh, Victor Oladipo, yeah, I mean, what's there to say about him? Uh, his first few years in the league weren't up to par as to his expectations as a second overall pick, but then he really did explode, um, especially after getting traded. Um, mm-hmm. to uh, especially after getting traded to the Indiana Pacers, and that kind of became his team. And uh, yeah, I definitely say he's a star in this league. Absolutely, and I think he fits in very well on that uh, Pacers team. It's unfortunate for them that they uh, got swept by the Heat. I want to say, yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. But honestly, this team is still good enough to be at least in the playoffs. But they need a few more pieces. That's besides the point. But Oladipo himself, great player, excellent fit on that Pacers team. He's been bouncing quite a lot in his career so far, but I think he's fit in nicely on that Pacers team. Mm-hmm. He went from Orlando to OKC to Indiana, and I think he is the face of that uh, Indiana team now, especially after Paul George left. So Absolutely. all good there. And uh, but he got a three. So at three, I'm going to take uh, Rudy Gobert from the Utah Jazz. Good and uh, I think he's yeah a defensive specialist and honestly one of the best, if not the best, defensive player in the in the league. Um, I believe uh, is he? How many times did he win uh, defensive player of the year? Is it two time? I'm gonna say that maybe. Um, three. Let me just double check that sure. really quickly right now. He's a two time defensive player of the year. So when you have a player of that caliber, um, only very only so few players have won it multiple times. 
Um, and as we've seen in that first round series, um, he was very, very solid on both ends of the court, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong, especially when uh, defense wins championships. And I really believe that. Absolutely. And the Jazz are very happy with that pick. Don't get us wrong. Like what we were talking about earlier about the uh, Jazz potentially having to make some change to their roster. But I think one of the things they don't have to worry about is him because defense is a huge factor in today's NBA. And I think the Jazz identity is partially because of Gobert. Gobert plays an excellent game. And I think his game is super valuable in this, in today's NBA. So you definitely need to have more players like him. And I think it's great that he's landed on a great spot in Utah. Oh yeah. Isn't it interesting that he was originally drafted by the Nuggets and then traded to the Jazz on draft night? Could have been mm. a different. Could have been a different look at that first round series. That is a very interesting thing. Well, you think about it. I didn't even realize that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, who you got at four? We'll keep going. I'd say he's one of the most underrated uh, second uh, man, play, second best players in the uh, second NBA. Options, yeah. Second option. That's what I meant to say. Uh, Portland's got a great one in this guy. Pretty much spoiled it. Uh, CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum, 3J McCollum. Uh, he has the most made threes in this entire draft class. I think he's definitely a specialist in that. But definitely, I mean, if we've seen anything from Portland, uh, other than Damian Lillard, who's been the biggest story of Portland, um, CJ McCollum has been like one of the best sidekicks in the league. Um, mm-hmm. And that duo has been crazy, and they've been fitting together almost perfectly. And uh, yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with that pick. I'm looking at the stats right now on uh, basketball reference for the 2013 draft. What what I find crazy is that CJ McCollum has the second most points out of anyone in this draft class. Second only to Giannis, of course. But it's crazy. Like 18.5 points per game for his career up to this point. I'd say that's a really good pick at 10 over 10th overall. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Um so with that, I'm going to head out on to my fifth. Are we at fifth? Fifth overall pick? Yeah, we're at fifth. And uh, I'm going to go um, with a big over here. And I'm going to take uh, Steven Adams. Excellent choice. A really good player on... Is he still on Oakland? Uh, uh, OKC? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. All right, yeah. Excellent pick. He's been great. He has been great. He's been a very... Um, I just want to pull up some of his stats, but he's been a very, very solid uh, big man for the OKC Thunder um, pretty much his entire time. Um, uh, I mean, again, they've been really depending on him a lot more, and I think he's really broken out these last few um, these last few seasons. And just that solid big man that you really can't go wrong with uh, having on your team. I think he brings a lot to the floor. Here's another thing. That was the pick that the Raptors originally had in that draft. I always wonder, would the, would the Raptors have taken him if he was uh, if they still had the twelfth overall pick in twenty thirteen? I mean, you gotta wonder, you gotta wonder. But then you also gotta wonder if Toronto had that twelfth uh, overall pick, could they have chosen Giannis? <laughs> Don't do this to me. Not he was taking just three three slots uh, afterwards. Oh man. A lot of what ifs. This is this is a great draft for what ifs. <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, I take Steven Adams fifth and let's see who you got at um sixth. Here's a player that I think my people might get a little upset at if I take him at number six. But truth be told, he's definitely come into his own the last couple of years. And I think 
he could definitely be a, one of the better point guards in the NBA, and that is Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder, nice. Um, yeah, I mean, what's there to say about Dennis Schroeder? He's been very good. Um, he's been he's been playing very well the the his especially the last few seasons for the OKC Thunder. Look at that, two OKC Thunder going back to back. But uh, there you go. I think he's really found his spot with the Thunder, actually. Um, and uh, not to say he hasn't played well with the Hawks, which he has, uh, which he spent most of his career with. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, he's he's been really effective for for the Thunder, and I think he's really made a name for himself. I wonder if Atlanta is going to regret moving him when they did, because he still has a lot of uh, freeway to in his career. Yeah, I mean, and his, I think he could still be a, a an effective point guard for years to come. So his best offensive season was his last season with Atlanta when he scored when he averaged uh, nineteen point four points per game. Um, so OKC got a good steal there when they picked him up, and uh, yeah, uh, very I, very. I very couldn't agree player. more. Yeah, couldn't agree more, man. Go to number seven. Let's go to number seven. So with number seven, I am go going to go a little off my board here uh, that I originally had, but uh, I'm gonna take uh, Otto Porter Jr. Excellent pick. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, plays, uh, oh yeah, he plays for the Bulls now, um, but uh, majority of his uh, of his career has been with the Wizards, and yeah, I mean, just a really good, especially for depth depth wise, just a really good player. Um, you can't really go wrong with him. Yeah, uh, last season, especially his first with Chicago, he had he had kind of his breakout season, um, averaging seventeen point five points per game. Um, and uh, I mean, he did only play a few. He he his his season was kind of sh- cut short, but uh, you know he was very effective with uh, Chicago. You saw he kind of improved as as soon as he turned, uh, as soon as he joined Chicago. And you know you really want to see what else he can do. Um, now that he's in Chicago. Absolutely. And yeah, like he's played very well on the uh, Wizards for all those years there. Um, o- overall, it's been a great career for him. Um, against the Raptors, if, if you remember in 2015 and more specifically 2018, he was a, he was quite the nuisance, like a player that was like, you were scared to see him uh, go, go off offensively because I remember in 2018, he was like very effective. So a great pick for you. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and now you have the next pick. Uh, I'm glad that this player uh, to, is still available at this point in the draft, and I will gladly take him. And that is Robert Covington. Nice. I had him. Uh, I had him there as well. Um, I mean, what's what? I mean, I'll let you explain your pick there. I like to have some uh, great basketball players on my team. Sorry, I'm just not really thinking right now. And Robert Covington has been a good all-around player for a number of years. Like, one of the more most underrated players in the NBA. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised not many play- people talk about him. And that was a pretty interesting trade that he got dealt away from uh, from Minnesota. Now he's on the Rockets, and he's playing a, playing a big, big part of their team, being able to uh, get to Game 7 on uh, these playoffs. Uh, great player. Honestly, I'm surprised... He hasn't been looked at more. He, I, like I said, he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA, and I wish I learned more about him. But I'm really happy with my pick. Nice, nice. So, uh, what number are we at? Nine. Nine. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna take a, a Canadian pride and joy here. I'm nice. gonna take uh, Kelly Olynyk. 
from the Miami Heat. Oh, oh yeah, nice. He thought. Imagine I was gonna say Anthony Bennett, <laughs> but uh, oh. yeah, um, he's from Toronto, and uh, he's he's been a very good just role player through his entire career. Of course, he played with Boston before, and now he plays with the Heat, and uh, he's really adapted to the Heat's. Um, he, I think he just really fits with the Heat a lot more than he did with the the Celtics, to be honest. Um, and mm-hmm. he, although he's kind of taken a backseat offensively to what he's how he's been playing in Boston, um, he still played very well. You know, last season he put up his highest uh, points per game average at eleven point five points per game, and this season he's been um, his averages are really good. And obviously they they're finding a lot of success uh, overall as a team in Miami, and a lot of the credit has to go to him and how he's. Um, kind of taking that role um, in Miami and rolled with it. Oh, absolutely. And I agree. I remember when back in his early days as a Celtic, uh, during that transitional phase for the team, he was a player that always intrigued me. A player like, hmm, I wonder if the Raptors would, would benefit from getting this guy. And he has developed really well uh, on the Celtics, of course. And now on the Heat, he's playing a major role in the team uh, already off to the second round, playing off against uh, the the Bucks, and that could be a very interesting series. Like if they win that one, who knows what their what their ceiling is, and all that could play is a big part in that. And I think if there's anything, uh, if we want to talk about underrated players, Covington is one of them. Olnick is another. For sure, for sure. Did I say it right? By the way, what Olenek? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, now you have the final pick in the draft. So let's wrap it up. I basically the player that uh, is perfect to round out this draft. Probably could have taken him earlier, but I'm going to take him now. Tim Hardaway Jr. Exactly who I had a tenth overall as well. Um, I think our draft boards have been pretty similar, um, honestly. But uh, yeah, I mean, I just want to wrap it up super quickly. But uh, again, just another solid player. We saw when he uh, joined the Knicks. He, you know, a lot of people. When he was drafted by the Knicks, I remember uh, a lot of people thought he would be a really bright spot, and he had a lot of potential. Um, of course, uh, he's kind of developed more into a role player here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he especially during these playoffs, I think we've seen that he has been uh, a good fit with the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how he, uh, how he rolls with that squad. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the Dallas Mavericks have a good piece in him right now. Here's another question, kind of like the Hawks, but I think more so with the Knicks. Are they going to regret trading him away? Was wasn't he part of the package with uh, Porzingis? Let me double check that. I, I let me double check actually. Because if he is, then that's a, that's another blemish on that trade for the Knicks. He was, he was, he was uh, traded uh, along with Trey Burke. Again, another uh, big piece for the Mavericks right now. Courtney Lee and Kristaps Porzingis to the Mavs. I'm telling you right now, if the Mavs win a championship in the next three years, they're gonna they're gonna enact a, a statue of James Nolan, James Dolan, for thanking him for gifting the Mavericks all the pieces uh, they needed. Man, the Knicks are just a mess. <laughs> they just need a lot of help. But yeah. uh, I think with that, right yeah, now. I think with that we will wrap up our um, our redraft. That was a good redraft. A lot of jumps, a lot of. Uh, a lot of different uh, results there from the real, the real draft. But uh, yeah, I, I I really like that, and we'll have the 2014 draft next week. Absolutely, yes. Uh, if you guys like the format, if you guys want to make some suggestions for future episodes, 
let us know. Follow. We'll tell you we'll socials later, but please let us know what you think of this format. We obviously love it. We've been doing it for now a few weeks now, and it's sad that this we're almost done with these drafts. I always look forward to them. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're definitely really fun to do, and uh, it really just puts things in perspective, I mean, all these years later. Um, but I think we'll close out the episode very soon. We just have a couple questions to ask from uh, from the listeners. Um, yes. Again, I'll just plug it in now. If you want to um, send us any questions to answer on the podcast, you can tweet us. Um, me at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore. And me at the Leafs IMO. And also, and- yeah, our uh, podcast uh, account on Twitter at Behind the Net Pod. So tweet or message any one of those accounts and we will get back to you or we will answer them on the next podcast. But anyways. And, we- and we're going to try some fun on the, on the other account too. So definitely pe- oh, yeah. follow for that as well. So uh, you want to read us the first question and I can read us the second one, which we just got very recently. Yeah, you can. We I read the first question already, so you can answer this uh, this next one. Okay, let me just pull it up here. So uh, Quinn, this is from our, our, our good friend Quinn. Quinn Storm on uh, Twitter, and uh, he is asking, "What are basically what are three moves you would like if you're you're Kyle Dubis? What are three moves you make this offseason?" Okay, I'll go first. I think it'll be very quick. First, you make a move to sign Ratko Gudis. Gudis, I feel, is one of those players that Leaf fans have been clamoring and hoping that he gets on the lease one day, and I think he'd make total sense for that back. Me, me included. They need that. They need that physical presence on mm-hmm. their back line. And, and he's a very good player. People overlook that because they think, oh, big, tough defenseman. Very, very much Roman Polak. No, he's a very good player. I think he'd fit very well on this Leafs team. That's one move. Number two, make a move for starting goaltender. Whether that be signing Leonard or Holtby, if you can somehow convince him to take a cheap deal, or making a trade for Matt Murray, they have to get the starter. This is this time to do that. And number three, you knew this was coming. Trade for Blake Coleman. <laughs> that would be your number one. Uh, it's your number, it's number one, one on desire, my list. actually. Yeah. Trade for Blake Coleman. Get the Lightning <laughs> to give him up again. So uh, mine is very similar. For me, it is. Uh, I'll word it in different ways though. But for me, yeah, Radko Gudis is the. It's the he's the main uh, free agent I definitely want to see in a Leafs uniform. I've wanted him for a couple seasons now. Again, he's a very, he's a really good defensive defenseman, which is exactly what the Leafs need. So uh, take a take a shot at him. I think he's exactly uh, what the Leafs need to you know sharpen up their blue line. Second, I'm gonna say, in terms of the draft, um, I know that Kyle Dubas. I know that the Leafs could dangle the that fifteenth uh, overall pick a little, but I think uh, I actually think I would like them to see. I would I would like to see them actually use that fifteenth overall pick. So for me. I want to see them use it. Um, maybe if Askarov is uh, available, maybe you can get a starting goalie there. I don't mm-hmm. know. A starting goalie of the future. There's an option. Um, and then my number one is, uh, I mean, same as you. I would, uh, you know, explore explore the trade market with uh, Freddie Anderson. I don't know if uh, Matt Murray is the, is the one, but uh, definitely maybe, uh, you know, explore the, free agent market definitely just i think there needs to be a shake up there and definitely get mm-hmm. freddie anderson off the books and bring someone new in if that's matt murray i for one i don't know if i'm the huge biggest fan of bringing in matt murray you know as opposed to you know robin laner or even a mark and mark andre flurry um 
but uh mm-hmm. we'll just see what uh what Dubas has planned in terms of that but definitely I think getting Freddie Anderson off the out of a Leafs uniform you know we all love him but I think that shakeup is needed yeah a few honorable mentions uh if they don't get Rocco Gudis Dylan DeMello would be a great option mm-hmm. a backup plan mm-hmm. and Mark Rowiski would be excellent as well I think any one of those three defensemen would be a great fit on this Leafs team if you can someone get all three golden and we just we got a new another question just recently from Matt Roberts M Roberts eighty five, and mm-hmm. he asks. Um, I know we've talked about this in a previous podcast, but uh, again, thank you. I, I think you just followed, so thank you if you're listening. Thank you for listening to our uh, episode now. But yeah, is Bruce Boudreaux a Leafs? Is Bruce Boudreaux as Leafs assistant coach going to be a thing or no? I still think so. But again, it's going to come down to the Leafs. Because as we talked about in the previous episodes, Bruto is definitely interested in the position in the sense that if it if it doesn't work out for him getting a coaching spot, then that's where he'll go. There are some openings now. The Capitals need a new coach. Uh, the, the Kraken still need their coach. Who knows who else is going to get fired in the offseason. But if Rupertrojo doesn't get a coaching gig and the Leafs come calling for him again, then I think we could be seeing Bruce Brujol behind the bench and as for the Leafs. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm more on the side that it's not going to happen, mainly because I think a coach of his caliber is definitely going to hold out for that head coach position. I mean, he doesn't want to take that step back. Um, mm-hmm. So in the end, I don't think he will, but I know in an ideal situation, I mean, yeah, he would, <laughs> who wouldn't want to come back to your hometown even for a diminished role? Um, I think that's what's going through everyone's head. So there's a possibility in that front, but I, I don't think it's going to happen, but we will see. We'll see for sure. I think it'd be great if he does come back to Toronto, but you never know. For sure. Um, one other thing I wanted to just talk about quickly before we wrap things up. There was a big trade in hockey today. Jake Allen was dealt from the St. Louis Blues to the Montreal Canadiens. Very quickly, what are your thoughts? I mean... For me, I think it's it really is Montreal trying to, you know, tighten up their uh, goalie situation, um, especially uh, as for a backup goalie. But that's an expensive backup goalie, so I, I honestly I don't know exactly what they're planning in Montreal. I know there's a lot of there's been a lot of pieces moving here and there, especially about you know Max Domi. You know, is he on the move? He just switched agents, um, and I know. But if one thing's for sure, I really, 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 really doubt McCary Price would be out in any mm-hmm. capacity. I think he will retire as a Montreal uh, Canadian. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But um, it is bringing a lot of question marks about what they're trying to do there. But uh, if, if at surface, if it is an upgrade to their backup position, I think it's definitely, I think it's a good move for Montreal. Absolutely. Um, I think what this move is really for Montreal, they need a new uh, backup in the sense that they want to give Carey Price some rest. He's getting up there in age. He definitely played a big part in uh, them making it to the first round of the playoffs. Unfortunately, they ran into a very good Flyers team. But this Montreal team is still very good. And I think if Jake Allen can play good minutes, like good performances in in the net uh, when he's called upon, that definitely makes a big difference because that Montreal team came dangerously close to missing the qualifying round mm-hmm. this year. And who knows how what what difference uh, we were going to be talking about if that's the case. Yeah, and, and it, same thing with the Buffalo Sabres. It's it's obviously you think 
you know, it's a it's an expensive backup goalie, right? Like, what are they doing getting such an expensive backup goaltender? But hey, when you're a team that, you know, you have the cap space and you were able to exceed expectations, I mean, let's just, I mean, let's just face the facts. The Montreal Canadiens were, you know, a, a, a way cheaper team than the Toronto Maple Leafs and they did get farther than the Toronto Maple Leafs did. So I think there's a little comp- confidence in that front over there in Montreal and hey I mean when you have when you have that flexibility I mean and you you think you could you think you have that confidence in your team and you have that cap space I mean might as well go ahead and put a little more money into uh, a hole you 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 know you have and basically from the blue side just to wrap things up this conversation they clearly were doing this to give them some more financial flexibility to be able to sign Pachandrio and that's we kind of, like I said earlier, I, I was we obviously would love to see Petrangelo in the Leaf uniform, but there's no way. And I think it's pretty much a guarantee at this point now he's going to resign for the Blues to whatever amount of money he wants. So for them, good for them. They figured out their cap situation. They're going to sign one of their, their most important players. Now they need to find a backup. For sure. For sure. So we'll see what happens there. And I think we'll uh, close out this podcast here again. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on uh, Twitter for me at Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore and at me for me at the Leafs IMO. You can catch your work at the Leafs Nation. Uh, Matthew's hopefully going to get a gift job somewhere. Knock on wood for that one. Yep. Looking around for that. But yeah, I do tweet out Raptors uh, gifts clips on my Twitter. Um, kind of taking a step back the last few days uh, in solidarity uh, with everything that's been going on. But uh, we'll see. Yeah. And don't forget to follow our Twitter, our our, our cast's Twitter account. Like I said earlier, we're going to have some fun stuff planned. It is behind the net pod. Of course, uh, we had one fun tweet the other day. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be plenty more mm-hmm. where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys next week. Peace.